Yeah, well, I, I guess we can start. Thank you, Sarah K. Godot, for being in my podcast with Miska Podcast. Thank you, Miska. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> awesome. This is actually really cool because this is my first video podcast in a studio. The nice. last previous one I have done with uh, some iPhones. Well, basically the setup is the same, but everything is just better here because right. I've gone to guest places. So I thought that we're going to try studio. Uh, what do you think about it? We're in Dr. Self Tapes in Hollywood. It's fantastic. I could move in here. It's very comfortable, very womb-like. Nice. <laughs> they they had a couple of books there uh-huh. that were like some good books, but I thought that I, I can't have them in the background if I have not read them. <laughs> that's very, uh, that's good integrity. <laughs> yes, that felt silly because they were like nice books. I think it's always good to have books. Like if I walk into somebody's house and they don't have books, I automatically think they're a serial killer. I guess that happens pretty often nowadays. Yeah, yeah. Even. But, do, you know, it's a dangerous world, so. <laughs> do you have books? I have lots of books. Like old school? Old school. Like I still have my entire play library from undergrad. Yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I don't. I have some in my parents' place in Finland. That's fair. How about the new world? We went to school, New World School of the Arts in Miami. Yeah. How about the notes? I still have those, but they're in like Tupperwares and storage. In uh, L.A.? No, yeah, in L.A. I, gr- I dragged everything all across the country. How long are we going to have them? Probably forever now. I don't know. I feel like if I've kept them for 20 years, I have to keep keep them. <laughs> have you opened them ever? Uh, I do. Like, every time I've moved to a different city, I have, like, purged to see what was worth keeping and what wasn't. And you actually throw some away? Some, yeah. Because I have all the notes from the improv classes and movement classes and all that. Yeah, like I have anything that I would use if I ever wanted to teach or like draw from those things. Um, but stuff that's just like random doodles or, you know, some of the more personal like venting about classmates that I had drama with, I've let go. You have let go. <laughs> that feel, it seems like almost the more interesting stuff. It does, but I think sometimes for si- good healthy psychology, it's good to let go of grudges from twenty years ago too. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, that, well, yeah, you are a psychologist. You are not a psychologist, I'm not. but that you mentioned psychology in a, such an easy way. It seems like that you are talking quite a lot of, about psychology in your life. Yes, well, yes. I, my my day job is uh, me and my husband own a psychology practice. So he's the clinical director, I'm HR, so I hire therapists and I train them to do like all of the admin stuff to make sure they're doing things correctly. Uh, but in that, I've basically gotten like a unofficial doctorate in psychology over the last five years. So Nice. Yeah. How, how, how is that, running that kind of business? It's crazy. <laughs> crazy. <laughs> um, it's a lot of work. It's For me, it's at least rewarding. Like I know the work we're doing is really good. So even though it's not like 100% in my chosen field I feel good about what I'm doing um I will say that my side of the business where I'm like hiring and weeding out therapists um it's scary how many unqualified people are registered psychologists (laughs) how how easily can you get registered I mean you still have to go through all of the it uh it depends on like what level whether you're master's or doctorate like Dave's doctorate but we hire people at both master's and doctorate levels yeah um so it's at least four to six often eight to ten years of school plus internships and residencies but like there's all kinds of different um 
programs out there and fields of study. And then now that there's so much online school, there's like a lot of kind of scam schools that people like pay to play and get a certificate, but like never have to go through the hoops of like being in the room with clients or like a lot of times you have to do your internships in like a hospital setting or like a really intense situation to like really test your metal and like I'll get people that just nothing they just like think it's cool because they read a lot of books and that's not good (laughs) yeah I I was actually wondering like how do you vet them before you hire them um it's been a learning curve on my end yeah so I definitely like I I was a hiring manager in the food and beverage industry for like 15 years so like I know how to like ask the right questions to see if somebody's trustworthy or not or um if they have anger problems or things like that. But like I had to basically learn a lot more about the field of psychology in our specific area of practice to ask the right questions to make sure that the people um, had had the stuff. So basically Dave made me listen to all kinds of audiobooks and I basically have a psychology degree now. Yeah, that's what that's what it sounded like when you started to talk about psychology. Yeah. It was so easy. Is there any specific uh, any specific questions or what are the telltale signs if someone is? Um, well, I mean, it's not surprising that a lot of people go into psychology because they had needed therapy themselves or are like trying to solve something in themselves and they have a passion for it. And so for me, I weed out like, have you worked through your stuff? Or are you continuing to work on your own stuff so you're not bringing that into the room? Because when you're in therapy, it should never be about the therapist. It should always be about the client. The therapist is just like a conduit for somebody to be able to work out their own stuff, you know? Yes. Um, so especially with the younger generation that's coming out of school right now, a lot of them are very idealistic. And it's great to have, you know, your causes, but you can't bring those causes into the room. You're, you can't do therapy with somebody to try and change their mind to be like yours, you know? What kind of causes are we? I mean, all kinds, yeah. good, good and bad. But like, I mean, obviously, political stuff is very hot in this country right now, yeah. and gender identity and sexual identity, and um, you know, defund the police, Black Lives Matter, all those great causes. But like, if you're in the room with somebody that's completely opposite of you, it's not your job to change their mind to your views. Uh, of course not. But it's very hard for some, especially. Uh, and I mean, I was an idealistic youth too, um, but it's very hard to get somebody in their early 20s to have perspective if they haven't lived long enough to have perspective yet. Which makes me think that if the therapist is much younger than the client, mm-hmm. I, I've been to therapy sometimes and usually the therapist has been older, but now since I'm already 42, that's going to happen. Yep. Uh, h- how's that? I mean, it, it's challenging for the therapists at first for sure like i i've had to like kind of bolster their confidence and we do lots of um we have two different meetings a week uh where the whole team comes together to support each other um but really it's it's leaning always in in the same way that they shouldn't be bringing their ideals in like you will look visually younger but as long as you're leaning on your training and and your knowledge and what you went to school for for six years, it shouldn't matter if you're 22 or 75 because you're just providing the tools for the person to be able to explore their stuff. So it's not like you are giving them, you know, your own life advice on child raising or marriage or any of that. You know? Yeah. How many people do you do you have working for you? Uh, right now we have two administrative staff and eight therapists. 
and we're getting uh, four more postdocs by the end of the summer. And you told me what you you are the head of HR. So I, Dave's the CEO and I'm the COO. So basically, I'm all things operations. So I do all of the hiring. I do all of the like uh, admin training. I do all of our marketing. And then I'm also our facilities manager. So I literally build and decorate our offices. And we're in the process of expanding into a new office this month. <laughs> and this is in Long Beach. This is in Long Beach, yeah. How, you're an actor and comedian. So how much time does the therapy stuff Uh, it, I basically don't sleep, um, okay. but the reason I agreed to do this business with Dave versus staying in the uh, food and beverage industry was um, for a while, I kind of had to stop acting in comedy just so that we could survive while he was finishing school. And Wait, so, how long ago? Uh, I took about an eight year break uh, from probably 2009 to 2000 and whatever eight years is from that. <laughs> 17. Yeah. Oh, you took eight year break from act from yeah, art. Pretty much. I okay. had to. So like, you I mean, telling, I dabbled yeah. in stand up here and there when I could. Um, but basically, uh, while Dave was in grad school, I went and became a certified sommelier, which is like a wine expert. Yes. Um, and that was in Chicago, where there's a much stronger food and wine scene than there is in Los Angeles. Oh, there is. Yes. Um, there's just there's a lot more. Um, established wealth in Chicago like LA there's people are like either super rich or super not or it's like flighty because of the entertainment industry there's no like established like I'm a you know textile baron you know yes uh and like so, one is right <laughs> but in Chicago there is the the whole uh, scene that can afford to go out to fine dining every night of the week and chooses to. Yeah. So becoming a sommelier in that city was very like artistically rewarding, even though I wasn't acting. Um, and then I moved out here and uh, basically had to work 80 hours a week in a restaurant to survive, which was terrible. <laughs> or as a waiter? Or no, no, I was a uh, food and beverage director. So like, basically, I had to be a general manager of a restaurant. And then also like I got to build the wine program, which was very different than what I was doing in Chicago. Nice. What kind of restaurant? Um, it was a restaurant group. I'd prefer not to say the names. Yes. Uh, just because I, I have bad feelings. About the Golden them. Arches? No, 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 no. no, no. Yeah. Um, but very kind of popular. Uh, but like, yeah, popular. But what, like what, what craft kind of? cocktail, um, farm to table, but like stays open till two o'clock in the morning situations. Sounds great. Yeah. Nice. And you build the whole wine thing. I built the wine thing, but then I also had to like manage everybody's schedules. And so I was, I won't lie. I had a lot of resentment because there was lots of uh, people that came out here to be actors and they got to follow their dreams and were making more money than we had tips and still got like three days off. And I was like locked in like a sweaty office in the back of a kitchen. All yeah, that, because I have done right. I have been a waiter too. So that's what I sometimes think, especially in America, that because waiters can make so much money. Mm -hmm. So how do you feel when you get from waiter to manager and you just stop making money? It's terrible. Uh, like for me, because like I fell into it backwards, I don't think I would have ever gone the management route had I not been a sommelier in Chicago first. So like it played on my ego and I'm, I've been trying to let that go. Um, but so then when, when I came out here, I'm like, I can't just be a waiter. Like I've already come up these ranks, so I have to be in management and it's a trap. It's a total trap. Never, never, ever. <laughs> 
I'm thinking, what are the next steps from that? There aren't any that like I pretty much got to the aside from owning my own place, which I originally thought I wanted to do. Yes. Um, there, I, I realized that I had hit the top of what I could do as far as like prestige and also money. And it was definitely not worth what I was doing. Like there was times that like our second year in LA, there was a June where I only saw my husband one day where we were both awake. Wow. Yeah. When I worked in a restaurant, I off, when I, for the whole night, I see people drinking and eating and having fun to think that you, when you go home, you want to, I wanted to drink. Same. Uh, <laughs> how, how, how did you balance that? Uh, terribly. Yeah. <laughs> terribly. I would, you know, I would work until two and then come home and, and like drink by myself on the couch and then wake up at like noon and just like there you're, You're not in society. Like I lived in LA, but I didn't live in LA for yes. like the first five years. I, I know it's it's like there are many things that are pretty can be pretty hard in restaurant mm -hmm. industry. Like that, yep. like that is one example. Oh, so I didn't. I forgot that you took the break. Yeah, for eight years. Yes. So Dave went to psychology school, mm -hmm. or yes, yeah. Dave was in grad school, and then. Um, He, the reason we left Chicago is he got an internship. Um, we had to move to Texas for a year that was terrible. And then he got a postdoc out here. And after a year in Texas, I'm like, I'll move anywhere. I don't care. Yes. <laughs> um, and so we moved out here. And I like for a little while when we first came out here, produced my own comedy show at my first restaurant. Um, but that closed. And then I got into the restaurant group that I was in and I didn't have a life for three years. Yes. And then I finally quit and Dave and I started this business and I got an agent and started doing comedy again and we're acting. Yes. Nice. How 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 was the quitting that this isn't quitting and then going to the next thing? It, it was hard. It it happened in stages over a period of time and then it became the new normal to where like I just convinced myself that this was like the responsible thing I had to do um for my life and uh I I became a very unhappy person and once I got back into it um I will say I have better perspective now than I did in my youth, like in New World days. Yeah. And so like I very much appreciate all of the parts of the process now. Nice. Like there's never a time that I'm like, oh, this isn't worth my time or my agent should be doing more for me or uh, like anything that happens I'm excited about. You yeah. Know? Great. Yeah. I thought that you're from Clearwater, but while I was driving here, I was listening to your stand up on YouTube. You said Tampa. Well, Tampa's the it, so Clearwater's the beach of Tampa. It's all okay. in the same area. All right. Yeah. So you, where you're from, Clearwater. Clearwater. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. How was that? Uh, I have no intention of ever going back. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, the beach is beautiful and the people are terrible. <laughs> okay. It's very uh, backward Southern thinking, um, and I didn't I didn't fit in well there at all. <laughs> wow! Yeah, I have never been there. I know Bert Kreischer, the comedian, is mm -hmm. from stand up. I uh, from uh, Tampa. I don't know him. Me neither. I do know he's from Tampa, though. <laughs> yes, a lot of Scientologists. It's actually the the headquarters of the Church of Scientology. Yep. But they are pretty visible here. Oh too, yeah. By Upright Citizens Brigade. Yes. The blue one is by the Sunset at UCB, which doesn't exist anymore, unfortunately. They're and coming back. Are they? In yeah. that building? Yes. Oh, great. Uh, because I've been taking classes there via Zoom now. Mm -hmm. So I'm on their mailing list. Some 
company bought the whole thing mm-hmm. and they said that we're opening in few months both locations and it's gonna be s- I, I don't want to say business as usual but they're gonna come back but like they're going back locations. in that space oh that's great yes yeah i was actually the last graduating showcase of level four in sunset right before shutdown and wow. so it was like very sad to see it all go <laughs> i was wondering like who's gonna go there like what's gonna happen Right. I've been out there only as an audience member a couple of times. How, how is that? Room? It's a great space. It's like space. The, the the theater is fantastic, but how they had built out that whole complex was so cool. And, Please tell me. Um, so it's they have the inner sanctum, which is like a smaller, more like black box room that's also like a multi purpose room um, where people can like put up that like aren't the house teams can put up like their own showcases or you could do podcasts or you can do a stand up showcase, but it's like a kind of everybody work out their own stuff. And then when there's not show times, it's just got lots of couches. So you can like hang out and like get to know people. There was the coffee shop, which was great for me because I was always driving in from Long Beach. So I get there super early and bring my computer and just like work on stuff. Um, upstairs there's, there used to be like probably 14 small like classrooms, which is where you would do your training. Um, it felt a lot like new world actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think there's a, like a, two- a new world is the school that we went to. Yes. We're going to go back, get to it <laughs> soon. <laughs> yeah. So they, they had actually built rooms for improv. Mm-hmm. What do that, those kind of rooms look like? Um, just basically wood floor, uh, chairs and blank walls. So. Nice. Just like a, basically like a dance studio, but. Yeah. So there was 14 rooms like that. Mm-hmm. And then there was the main theater. Mm-hmm. How, how was it to perform? It was great. Um, it's a different feeling because I did, I, I did both the Sunset and the Franklin for different showcase shows. Um, Franklin, you can feel the history in it. Um, but it is more cramped and like it's always awkward for people to be sitting on the side or like on the stage. So um, the sunset one just felt like a legitimate small like theater. Yeah. Yeah. I've been as an audience in both of them. So can you tell about the audition process? Because I now I have taken all the levels and two extra levels too. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm eligible to audition. Yeah, I don't, I'm exactly at that point. So like I had completed level four. And so that was right when I was allowed to start auditioning for house teams and everything shut down. So I don't even know if my certification is still valid. Like, I don't know if they're grandfathering people in. It must be. But like, I want to audition. I didn't put in all that legwork not to. (laughs) Well, it must be. I mean, I would like it for it to be that it doesn't stop being valid. Yeah, so they really said that in a few months they're going to go back up. So I'm hoping the audition, because improv is something really like... I, I had big problems coming here with starting to do improv because I have the accent. Mm-hmm. And it's because basically, I f- at least I feel that in improv, when you s- get on stage, you should be able to pretty much play anything. Mm-hmm. But with the accent, I'm so limited that I can only play foreign characters. But then with the... Yeah. Uh, but with the Zoom and having lots of foreigners in the classes, I have just made some kind of be- peace with it mm-hmm. instead of not going to improv for. Right. Yeah. Well, and especially, like I would, I would see your fear more in like sketch or character, you know. Yes. But like in improv, you can literally do anything, especially in the UCB thing, because it's all about finding the game and not about character development. So yes. like, you don't have to. Like I, I, how many times have I played like huge men? Often. Yes. Often. <laughs> I, I know. Yeah. It, 
I, I feel much better about it, but it felt so annoying that I wasn't able to play a variety of... Like, there were certain limitations because of my speech. Mm-hmm. But then I just thought that, well, I either do improv or don't do it. And Because improv is something that I have done most in my theater history, because right. that has been sort of constant in many ways. Mm-hmm. So now, now I'm looking forward to going to the audition. It would be great to get in the house team. I would agree, yeah. What kind of shows have you done there apart from, well, at least the showcase? I Just the showcases, yeah. Because at the time I was still like, you know, working full time. So I, I like, I even, I didn't do levels one through four all like back to back to back. Like I did level one and then took six months and then did level two and then took six months. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I've been also thinking that there was IO West, which was a little bit, Mm-hmm. different generation then UCB became a big thing and I think they're like 20 years old or something yep. now I would like to see what's the next thing because it must already exist right. what, what's going to be the next generation do you have any feelers I, well I think <clears throat> what I've noticed especially in the last year is things have like been coming back online but like half of people are comfortable being out in public half the people aren't like a lot of people are starting um, to do a lot more independent stuff like it, it I get a feeling a lot more like I had in Chicago with like small independent like black box shows where people are being creative like I have a friend of mine uh, Christina from UCB who's producing her own variety show at the Virgil right now and like I love variety because you get stand up, you get sketch, you get she's incorporating pole dancing into hers. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I see a lot of people like branching off and like not feeling like trusting that they have the training and feeling safe enough in the community right now to produce their own things without like an institution being behind them. Yes. I'm and I'm also wondering like what kind of styles because I think you you UCB combined what had happened before them and they sort of created their own style, maybe en- mm-hmm. emphasized the game. Yep. Please let me know if I'm... No, you're right. It, so <laughs> so they created, emphasized the game. So there must be a new style of improv bubbling under somewhere. But I, I just haven't heard anything about it. I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, UCB is a little bit different than Second City, which definitely has been around forever yes. uh, from Chicago. Um, I don't actually know what kind of style they do. So they're uh, definitely more story driven yes. than the game. So they're more like A to C story versus finding the game and just going wherever. Yeah. So a little bit more cerebral and a little bit more geared towards sketch. But still long form. Yeah, or, still long form. Okay. 30 minutes or mm-hmm. what? Yeah, it's just not the Herald. <laughs> What's the structure? Is there a structure? I don't know because I never actually did it. I just I used to run at the theater that I ran in Chicago. I used to run a competition called the Improv Gladiators. So teams from uh, Second City used to come and compete at my theater for stage time. Yeah. So I would see their long form and I could see it and I can tell that it's different than UCB. But because I never went through Second City, I can't tell you what the actual structure yeah. is. What was the structure for your... I, I had an improv competition in Finland, too. Okay. So what kind of... Uh, what um, was the structure So this was called the Original Improv Gladiators. So the... Made up by you. Made up by me. I love it. Um, the company members of our theater would dress in, like, ridiculous costumes. Yeah. Um, and so we would come up and just do, like, short um, improv games uh, with the different team members from the teams that were competing yeah. um, just to kind of like warm up the crowd and get everybody excited. So just very short, like comedy sports type stuff. And then each team 
uh, that was competing would come up for, I think it was 15 to 20 minutes and do like a medium size long form. Um, and then the audience would vote on who was best. And it was like a bracketed uh, thing through like three weeks. And if you won after all three weeks, then you got a like uh, two month run at the theater late night. Nice. Yeah. Sounds like a cool independent theater. Yeah. We Basically, we had to invent it because we we were a writer's theater. So all the stuff we did was all original works. Um, we would do two sketch shows, three kids shows, uh, a musical and a straight play every year. And so you'd either have to write or direct or be in or all of it. And I also did the scenic design. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we weren't making enough money to keep the theater alive just on our show. So we had to figure out a way to generate money to keep the it. lights yeah. on. And since there was so many kids coming to Chicago to do improv and there's the, the same kind of like cult cultish mentality as UCB where like, everybody's like, I got to keep doing this and I got to do house teams and we got to do this, like get your reps in five nights a week. There was enough of that buzz to yeah. get the people in. <laughs> and you went to Chicago when you graduated from college. Yes. Yeah. Well, I haven't really been in Chicago, but that's some kind of a dream. Mm -hmm. You work, how was it? It was great. I yeah. love Chicago. Like I hadn't been to Chicago before I decided to move to Chicago. Um, but basically I graduated from New World. I decided that I wanted to um, go to grad school for directing. And so I, uh, <clears throat> I applied to DePaul and went and auditioned. Where is it? Uh, in Chicago. Yes. Um, it's actually Paul Tay's alma mater. Great. Paul Tay was one of our teachers and <laughs> yeah. he runs his own theater company yep. my mad, mad cat, cat theater mm -hmm. i've seen many of the plays me too <clears throat> anyway so i went to audition for them and they're like we love you but we can't pay for you and i'm like i love you but i can't pay for me either <laughs> for the school <laughs> for the school yes yeah and they're like we recommend that you just move out here and start working at storefront theaters it's gonna be like the same experience as you would for grad school but you're not paying for it and you're actually like getting connected in the theater industry out yes. here and i was like great and this was when dave and i were still dating and living in miami and so i called him And I was like, hey, I'm moving to Chicago. I don't know what you're doing for the rest of your life. But <laughs> what was he doing then? Uh, he was finishing his undergrad. Um, he started in. In what? In, at Miami-Dade. Uh, I, I mean, English. what? Uh, English. In yes. English. He was a starving poet that didn't believe in college when I met him. Okay. <laughs> um, but at, at, by the time that we were leaving. And when I met him too. Yes. Yes. Um, by the time we were leaving Chicago or leaving Miami, he'd already decided that he wanted to go into psychology. So he was looking for undergrads, um, first in Miami, but then when I, I decided that we were going to Chicago, he started looking at Chicago schools, yes. um, and applied. And so he started going to school as soon as we moved to Chicago. Nice. Yeah. And how long were you in Chicago? Uh, um, nine years. So how was it? Like I said, it sounds like an idealistic theater. I loved dream. it. Um, I did again have to, after a while, pause theater and go into wine in order for us to survive and not be living in squalor while he was going through grad school. Um, so you needed to stop. I did. Oh, that's when you stopped. Yeah. Yes. So I, I basically, I moved to Chicago, auditioned for my first show and got in at, at the theater company I ended up running. Yes. Um, Do you want to tell the name? Yeah. The Corn Servitory. And Lincoln's corn, mm -hmm. sir, like the like the the vegetable. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking like fruit. What is it? It's, it's a vegetable. vegetable. <laughs> corn conser corn. The corn servitory. Um, it's in Lincoln Square. Yes. Uh, it's one of Chicago's longest running storefront theaters. 
Um, but basically, they were doing a uh, cross-gendered musical adaptation of The Bad Seed, which is like a famous black I, and white movie with this like crazy little girl that beats people to death with tap shoes. Yes. Um, so I auditioned for that, got in. It was my first show in Chicago, and it ran for two years. That's a long got, time. Yeah, we got a Jeff recommendation, which is like the Tonys, but for Chicago theater. Yeah. Um, and so I like I got sucked into the theater and I loved it. So then I did all their other shows and then I became the assistant artistic director for a while. Um, and it was artistically great, like the best next stepping stone out of school. Um, although <clears throat> the realities of artistic life became very apparent to me shortly, which was that if you don't come from money or aren't in the industry making a living or surviving, just being solely an artist is almost impossible did you make any money with the theater not enough to pay anything no <laughs> so people all the people had jobs yeah <clears throat> and you had a job as yeah. a sommelier yeah okay so you did that and then when did you uh so in 2009 is when i left the theater company and went fully into like full-time wine so you had five years in chicago mm -hmm. five years in chicago and then when i left The theater company is actually when I started doing stand-up. That's Be good. Because I like I knew I still needed to perform. Yeah. But I couldn't take off every night to do theater or like do a rehearsal schedule or anything. And stand-up, you can kind of choose your own adventure. And so, yes. I, I realized that most of my jobs are something that I can walk away in like just cancel it on the night before because it's stand-up and improv. Mm -hmm. I think LA is for me, I see LA that You want to be in a position that if they call you from a TV series that you can take the job. Correct. Were you double cast in uh, the play? No. It, okay. So. I just performed always. <laughs> yeah. So I was thinking like if you book something else. There, yeah. Like the, I, I was there a hundred percent to do live theater. So I wasn't. Yeah. submitting like I had a commercial agent in Miami before I left and then I didn't in Chicago at all it was all just yeah. like live theater all the time but that sounds great that's what you wanted to do it was what I wanted to do yeah what was why did you move to LA from Chicago because uh, Dave's uh, postdoc so like oh, yes. in psychology um, the the way they set up the system for training is very psycho psychologically unhealthy Um, so you really, the higher up you get in your education, the less control you have over your own life. Um, so you have to, uh, do a final internship. That's like a national lottery where you, you submit, like you, it's not like you just pick wherever you want to work, apply like a job and they hire you or they don't. It's this whole like weird lottery match system. And so anywhere in the country. Well, the first time he applied, and you can only do it three times. The first yeah. time he applied, I'm like, you have to apply in the Midwest. I have this great life that I've built in Chicago. I have no intention of leaving. We're staying in Chicago. And he submitted and he didn't match. And I was like, because I'm now the financial realities of how much student loan debt we have and all of that are becoming real. And so then the second time I was like, fine, do a national submit one year what's one year it's not a big deal i regret that statement my entire life um but he matched at in harlingen texas which is like a border town at the bottom of texas mexico and the gulf of mexico sounds exotic uh it's terrible <laughs> how how uh it's where the kids are in cages right now like that's the part of the country it is okay and as a woman in her late or er, her 
early 30s who doesn't speak Spanish and was a sommelier and a theater major, I was 100% unemployable there. So I was just stuck in my house watching like this horrible like cartel town unfold around me, which like watching Mayans and Sons of Anarchy on TV sounds great, but when you're living it, very different experience. <laughs> yes. And Dave was going to school or uh, Dave was working. Yeah, he was working at a VA hospital there. Yes. Um, so he had to be there for one year. And during that time, uh, a friend of his had a private practice in Manhattan Beach. And she's like, because uh, after you do that internship, you have to do a postdoc and do 2,000 supervised hours in whatever state you decide to land in. And 2,000. That's like two years. Or more, depending. Okay. Depending. And so she's like, I've got this great private practice. Why don't you guys move to L.A.? And I'm like, L.A., I can do acting. I can do wine there. It's fine. Let's go. <laughs> That sounds great because it could have been anywhere. It could have. Um, yeah. So we, we ended up moving uh, out here. The July will be nine years here. So it's like almost yes. the exact same time I was in Chicago. And was it Long Beach right away? No. Uh, we started in Culver City and I ran a restaurant in Culver City and a comedy show. And then I was working in Santa Monica and Pasadena. And he worked at one point. He was working at three different private practices, teaching at Mount St. Mary's and driving Uber. Wow. <laughs> And driving Uber mm -hmm. because he needed more. Yeah, because there there wasn't enough money. Period. <laughs> yes, but now he doesn't need to do extra work. No, although now we own an, our own business, there's like us. We have to force ourselves to have days off, and it's not easy. <laughs> yeah, and I remember when it was end of the year. There's like lots of financial stuff mm -hmm. that you need to do as a business owner. Yes. Yes. I just remember that you have been very busy at some times of yes. the year. Yeah. So you were in Clearwater. So when did the theater or all the whole I started thing start? performing when I was three. So um, I was very fortunate that there was, I. my mom was an art teacher at the school that I went to my whole life. And uh, that school had like a children's theater program. Uh, so I started with three. This, mm -hmm, I started with this lady named Gidget Cross when I was three. Uh, and I, I was, I performed with her all the way up to high school and like, I would help her teach as I got older. Um, but yeah, I, I started performing musical theater when I was three. <laughs> and this was in Clearwater. You went to high school there too. Yep. And I guess after that next year, New World New School World of school. the Arts in yep. Miami, where we met yep. 21 years ago. I think 22. I, I came there 2001. Yeah, I started in two like ninety nine or two thousand. I started. Yeah, you went there. I yes. was one year before you. So. Yes, so we we have known each other for quite a long time. Mm -hmm. And I was when I was driving here, I was thinking like all the dreams that we had there then, being acting school, and here we are. Yeah. How are we doing? I think we're doing pretty good for the sheer fact that we haven't quit. Yes, <laughs> like completely. I think, I, I mean, I, I know a little bit about your personal life. I know my personal life. I think we've lived like very full and satisfying lives and we're still doing our art. Yeah. I, I, th I think one of the main things really in LA, well, not the main things, but one big thing is also that making it this LA that if you're able to stay here, that's a pretty big win already. Yes, yes 100%. Yes. And here we are, we're doing a podcast. So I guess this is... I would say that we're in the business. We are in the at business. At this moment. Yes. <laughs> we are in the business. So why did you go to New World School of the Arts? 
Um, so I definitely wanted to get a BFA in theater regardless. Um, to be honest, Boston Conservatory was my first choice. Um, but I could not afford to go there. And, uh, so New World was my second audition. I really liked their program, especially, uh, when Jorge Guerra was the dean, because there was lots of, like, dream theater and, like, lots of integration of, like, visual arts and, like, performance art and stuff, which very much inter- interested me at the time. Um, and because I was a Florida resident, I got to go fairly cheap. <laughs> yeah. Is, is New World, what do you think how well-known New World is? Uh, like, th- how did you find out? I find out about it. I found out about them. So I was the president of my drama troupe in high school. Yeah. And there used to be the International Thespian Society where we would do like competitions every year. And so there was like state thespian competition. And every year there was booths um, from different colleges that tried to recruit people. And so I actually uh, was recruited by Patrice Bailey. Nice. My s- junior year. Yeah. And she's still uh, the she, dean. She's still the dean. Yes. Yeah. Uh Some to some theater schools, only very little people get in and they go through the whole program. Mm-hmm. And in New World, for our class, they accepted about thirty people, but I think only eight graduated. Yeah, mine was even worse. We we started with thirty five, and we were down to six by sophomore year, and we stayed by that. sophomore year. Yeah, and Matt joined us, but for a while we were just an all girl class. Yeah, and New World freaked out because they didn't know what to do with that because there aren't a lot of plays or anything for just an all female cast. I'm happy that's changing, but that was not the case in the early 2000s. Yes, I, I remember your class really well. <laughs> yeah, so you came to New World and Miami. You were not with Dave then, were you? No, I met him the summer between my sophomore and junior year in my in Clearwater. Clearwater. So we're from the same hometown. But did you know? It- Before. We knew of each other, but we didn't know each other. We were both part of the coffee shop poetry scene, yes. like all through high school. And Which you still are in Long Beach. I am, yeah. Yes, we, we just got back to it. <laughs> uh, it was great. I saw him doing his poem on Facebook. There was a video. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I went home. I used to go home every summer and teach art camp with my mom. And so I went home that summer and uh, like right when I got there, my friend invited both Dave and I to be like the keynote poets for his poetry night. And sparks flew and I inter- invited myself back to his house and I stayed for the rest of the summer. And then right. I came back to Miami and then he moved in in October. <laughs> and were we moving, living in the same building? Uh, I was, when when I came back, I was still technically in the Biscayne Towers where all the parties used to happen. I forgot the name. Yeah. Biscayne Towers. Uh-huh. Yes. And then uh, because of the shenanigans that my roommates had done that summer, our lease was not renewed. Okay. And so by the time Dave moved in, I was living in the apartment on, on actual Biscayne Boulevard that like antique apartment over the dollar store that you stayed at where where i stayed mm-hmm. I, i think i lived there for like a couple month months, yeah. a couple of months yes mm-hmm. so how was new world for you it was a roller coaster it definitely like if i in hindsight if i could do my life differently i wouldn't have gone to college until i was 25 and i would have just like gone out and tried to like market my youth but that's not what i did as um, an actor yeah, yeah 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 um oh sorry can i interrupt because mm-hmm. that's actually a good question because uh People have opinions like when they should move to LA. Mm-hmm. And I think there's many opinions, but my opinion is as soon as you are able to, yep. even though you're 16 or 17 and maybe your parents can help you or move with you because the youth is really valuable. Yes. yes. Um, and yeah. you can take enough classes in LA 
Right. Because when, instead of coming here when you're 27, it's a totally different thing. Yep. What, what do you think about this? I 100% agree with you. 100%. Um, if, like for me, it was important. I'm the first woman in my family to graduate from college. So like that was important for me to do. Uh, but in hindsight, like if I understand, I wish that the world was explained to me better and more realistically as far as finances and connections and all of that, because I definitely would have either tried to do it in Miami or Orlando or come out here as fast as possible and like hit the ground running, marketed myself as an actor, still had a bikini body. You know? <laughs> and be 18 to look younger. Correct. Which which means that you can play high Kids. schoolers and yep. all that. I think you have always looked really young. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. But yeah, uh, that's that's not what I did. I uh, I needed to do legitimate goddamn theater, and I did. Um, but I started college when I was seventeen, so like it was very it was weird for me to navigate the world super young by myself. Moving to Miami. Yeah. Oh, you were that young. Yeah. Seventeen. Mm-hmm. Yes, so I interrupted you when I was asking, like, how was it? You said that it was a... It was a roller coaster. So my class, again, I said we started out with 35. We were down to six. Like, we also... It wasn't a normal college experience. Actually, can I still interrupt? Because Mm -hmm. I want to... Why do you think people quit that kind of conservatory? Uh, I think it's a lot of different things. I think um, they're soul-searching. Because it's it's very hard work. It's super critical. Like, it's oftentimes when we did it, psychologically unhealthy (laughs) so what do you mean um i just i think that there was a lot of uh unnecessary um competition built in and like kind of cutthroatness that didn't need to be there when you're like a young artist and need to be like nurtured and like grown okay Um, like with who gets parts who gets parts and even just like how the juries like i can't tell you some and i won't on this but some of the awful things that were said to me in juries that like humans should not say that much less an accredited institution to a child you know and juries is that you're evaluated once a year or twice a year twice a year yes yeah and you do whatever you're you prepare a show what you're Mm -hmm. asked to do and then you have a meeting with the faculty yep and they they you know adjudicate whatever presentation you did but also how you're doing in all the different classes and like yes i mean i i'll I'll share one nugget i had a a dance teacher my freshman year i'm dyslexic yes so i don't spell well um which i don't think should have anything to do with how i can dance or not um but because i misspelled ballet terms on the test she told me because i was dyslexic i shouldn't be allowed to be in college okay that's pretty rough yeah (laughs) but it did also let me there was also lots of weird competition and huge age difference in some of the girls that i was in school with so like i had girls in my class that were in their 30s that were fighting like industry standards backstabby fighting i was like this naive 17 year old that's like i want to have like art family community and i didn't realize that not everybody was a collaborative person yeah and so it took me a, a while to navigate that and reconcile and find my place in it Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so you did four years there. I and, did. Uh, and uh, how was your experience doing the one person show? Which was, uh, I just want to say that because it was, New World is pretty unique in that way. Mm-hmm. Well, can you please tell what we learned yeah. instead of just acting? So uh, we, we learn everything. There's not like a technical department, like there's not tech theater and actors and whatever. Like you learn kind of all of the aspects of theater aside from the business. And I wish they would have taught a little bit more about the business. <laughs> 
Um, but at the end, you have to write and direct and produce your own one-person show. Yes. And for me, that was the most... I, I would say that maybe 70% is acting, mm-hmm. but that 30% is really strong yes. because you learn everything. Yes. It, would you agree that it's like acting emphasis? Still? Yes, still yeah. acting emphasis, emphasis for sure. Yeah. Um, but also like how you could you know, run the light board to get into a theater company and then be an actor. Or... And how to build a platform. Right. Everything. Right. And I... Costume design, everything. Yeah. I'm okay. very happy. I've used all those skills. Oh, me too. Me too. Yes. Um, and like I, senior year, I actually directed the Black Box show instead of being in it. Yes. Um, because I realized that I had a penchant for writing and directing and I wanted to to pursue that. And so I was like one of the first students they let direct. Yes. Um, How was it and which play? Uh, I did two short, or I did two one acts in conjunction as yeah. a full play. Um, so they were both by Arthur Coppett. One was an all female cast, and one was an all male cast. So the males was the day the horse came out to play tennis, and the female uh, show is chamber music. Yes, and I did it as a full production called Dirty Laundry because both plays, um, although not the same play, were very much showing the ugliest sides of the sexes. You know. Yes. And um, I was really excited at slash nervous because I had to direct my cat, my class. And there was definitely strong personalities. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, four years of drama history. So, uh, But it worked out well. The shows went great. Uh, Arthur Coppett actually came in from New York to see it, which was amazing. Um, although I assumed that I would be getting the same budget that the teachers got when they directed a play. Yes. And I did not. I Did got you get any? zero budget. Okay, okay. And so I actually sat out in front of the school with a paint bucket and panhandled for two weeks and <laughs> raised the money to do what I could do. And I ended up buying a box of 7,000 safety pins yeah. and made like an entire backdrop of literally my dirty laundry and then hung laundry over the audience and stuff wow. too. <laughs> yes. So it, it taught me to be very resourceful. <laughs> yes. That, that's a skill too. Yeah. Yeah. So our, the ending of... The last thing in the in New World School of the Arts is you do your one-person show. Mm-hmm. So how how was that experience? It, for me, it was great. Um, it it definitely it although a little in, maddening because you like you do feel like a crazy person a, a little bit when you're yeah. in your room rehearsing your own lines and giving yourself notes. And this was like before camera phones. Like I think it would be easier now. Because you can like actually like play back and evaluate yourself, but like when you're just like in a room by yourself. <laughs> I never recorded. I never videoed any of the rehearsals. Me neither. But I wish I like if if I did yeah. it now, I definitely would. You know? Yes, of course. But I think it also helped in the long run pr- uh, prepare me for things like stand up, which is a very solo situation. So like yeah. it's all on you to do the work, write the stuff, evaluate yourself correctly, grow. Yes. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, creating something that was all mine that went well was definitely a very gratifying feeling. Can you tell about what it is about? Uh, yeah, mine was called Summer Fruit, which is S-U-M-R fruit. Um, and it's this very like larger than life character named Lurleen Pearl that like the entire show, you think that she's in the uh, dressing room of the Grand Old Opry getting ready for her first like country music debut. And then at the end, you realize that she's actually like in a, a holding room for a, a psych ward. And so they pull her out of the room at the end. Um, and I, me, like her, her psyche walks through the audience singing. So yeah. It was choosing fantasy over reality. Which like is kind it. of ironic based on what I do now. <laughs> yeah. And did you have the watermelon? Yeah. I remember 
that shot, that yeah. picture. Yeah, I have seen all those plays. <laughs> I th one of the things that I remember from New World, this was from Jorge Guerra, that he said that he wanted to give us tools that we can create our own artic artistic space anywhere we want, yep. which is like just before going on stage for doing stand-up, I can go into a corner or a bathroom or just outside on the street and get into sort of a calm mindset. Yep. That you can create it and bring it anywhere. I just remembered that. I, th I think about that, what I learned quite a lot. So so from there you went to Chicago. Mm -hmm. But uh, how how is it being, an, you've been nine years in LA mm -hmm. and you've been active for three, four. Four. Yeah, so... How is the life of an actor and comedian in LA? Who I mean, doesn't sleep? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the not sleeping's a through line always. That's going to catch up yeah. to me at some point. Um, it's definitely different. Like, I haven't done any live theater out here, so it's a totally different animal. Um, I do love... But why not? I just haven't had that... Like, when I got back in to the industry, I got an agent and was still like bartending and everything to pay the rent. And so like, I didn't have like a chunk of time to like really inundate myself. I now know people that are in theater. So like, I was excited for the world to be reopening so I could finally audition and do things like that. But yes. it, the opportunity hasn't presented itself yet. Yes. Well, the time is a problem for me. I can't afford to do theater right. that doesn't pay. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yes. And like I, especially because I produce my own stand-up show and I perform out at least two or three nights a week, it would have to be a really great part and a really cool company to like say no to all of the stand-up life I've built over yes, the last five years. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So I interrupted you again. So <laughs> okay. I, I was asking, how is it being here as an actor? You haven't done theater yet. I but? haven't done theater. Yeah. I have done uh, TV and film and commercials and i love all of that for very different reasons than i loved theater and i love stand-up out here and i loved the improv scene and i'm excited for that to come back online so yes um it, it's it's different out here i thought i hated it at first and i think i actually like it better than anywhere i've ever been before like the longer you're here because yeah. you find the people that stayed and like are in it for the love and the passion and get it. And once you find your community, then it just keeps building itself. Yeah, we only had one class or school reunion like mm -hmm. five years ago. We should have another one. I agree. I agree. It was fun, but I I guess someone should organize. Yep. Yes. Yep. I think I still have the contact info of the guy that like had deemed himself the alumni president of New World in LA. <laughs> Randall Emmett. Mm -hmm. He's really successful. Yes. Yeah, I follow him on Instagram. Me too. <laughs> yes, I have sent him a couple of messages on Instagram, uh, advertising some some shows or something. No reply, but I have sent them. Yeah, I mean that's all. You but I, be, I was looking for his email, but I don't. I haven't found it. I think I have. I think in my somewhere in one of my storage boxes, I have his business card from that night. So <laughs> nice. <laughs> when you move, you might go right. through them. Right. <laughs> so so how is the everyday life of um pursuing acting and acting what do what actions do you do for that and comedy being a comedian sure too. um so i probably like i try and work on myself personally all of the time to grow and stay calm and like manage my anxiety and i meditate and all of that which i think is very important to be able to stay present and in the moment as an actor or any type of performer yeah um, i also work out every day because your your vessel is important cardio um, 
accountability. Yes, cardio I, accountability. <laughs> what what is what is that? I see. Um, so it's like I intentionally try and either do a really long walk or a bike ride every day, um, and then I'll pick something like a theme to take pictures of so that it like keeps me accountable. Cause then I'm like presenting something artistic to the world that I like, but it like, if I don't post it, then I don't get to post the picture. So I have to do the walk or I have to ride the bike. And um, then you put the numbers often mm -hmm. too. Yep. The, how many calories burned? Oh no, it's how many days. So 618 is where we're at right now. But sometimes I see the graphics. Oh yeah. So yes. that's my, mm. my, uh, heart rate monitor. <laughs> yes. It comes on my feed quite often. I, 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 I get joy out of it. Yay. That's my, that's my hope. Um, but I try and do that uh, for the first 365 days of lockdown. I dress like a different character every day. I remember that. So, was And we were able to suggest characters. Yes. Yeah. So I made it an interactive sport. So it was like to bring joy to other people, but it also made me do something every day. Yes. So I couldn't just lay there and like wallow in the fact that like I had just gotten back into acting and I just gotten through UCB and I just started getting my footing in comedy and then the whole world stopped. Yeah. And so I chose to not let it stop for me. So I like I did that. I produced an online comedy show. Uh, I took a screenwriting class. I wrote uh, two spec scripts and a pilot. Um, so You know, I ironically created better community for myself during the quarantine than I ever did in in um, live L.A. beforehand. Yeah. Just because I was like in my head insecure to make friends, to be honest, because I had taken the break and I was coming back in in my late 30s. And I'm like, oh, all these people are going to think that I'm a fraud and I don't belong here, which is not true. That's all in my head and not like a real thing at all. Yeah. <laughs> well, You have acted in indie films and Lifetime. I watched the Lifetime movie <laughs> yesterday. Yeah. That was, yeah, we filmed that in 12 days. Yeah. What is bad twin? Something. The missing, missing twin. Yes. Uh, 12 days uh, in like three locations in Winnetka, which is like Deep Valley. Yeah. Right at the beginning of lockdown. So that was my first experience on set during the pandemic. Oh, it was during pandemic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you have done, uh, and I really like the commercial about something IT, oh, where you up. break stuff. Right. That was so much fun. Yeah. I got to smash three computers during the film, <laughs> which is good rage management. And I was proud of my skill because I have to knock a coffee cup off the desk and hit a target with liquid in it. And I did it correctly like 14 times in a row. 14. Nice. And I, that's on your website. Yeah. What's your website? Uh, SarahKagadoComedy.com. So, so you have um, acted in... Indie films, Lifetime, uh, commercial, commercials and stuff. What do you think we should do to get on the network shows? What you or people should do? What do you think? I mean, I've auditioned for a bunch of them, so I, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think obviously have a good relationship with your agent. Make sure they're putting you in front of the correct things. Always show up and do your best. Uh, when you're on sets, make sure that you are being respectful and collaborative with everybody that's around you because you never know uh who's doing what like i did a um commercial for like fidelity insurance that shot for like three days but that guy like used to direct a major network show and will in the future so yeah. like just think of any project as like oh this is a waste of my time it's never true <laughs> yeah um so i think it's it's 
number one, like people really forget that part of the business, especially in in film and television, is it's such a team sport that you have to make sure you're a person that people actually want to work with. So it's not just the craft or just your phenomenal talent. It's also like, are you somebody that somebody wants to sit in a holding room with for 14 hours, you know? Um, And I think the more you create that reputation for yourself in this town, the quicker and easier it is to get on shows and once you get on one or two your reputation spreads and you get more and more and more yeah that makes sense Mm -hmm. and how about the auditions nowadays mainly self-tapes right yep yep which like i i used to be scared to do self-tapes not that like the technical part but like i believe in booking the room so like making that relationship with the casting director showing that you can take direction um, but now, especially cause I live in long beach, the fact that I can do round one and two from my living room and not be in the car for like five hours for a three second situation is fantastic. Yeah. And you act like, I didn't trust that you, that people actually booked. I felt like it used to be like, they'd ask for self tapes to like show that they were doing the audition process, but they like really already had it cast, but that's not true. <laughs> and who reads for you, Dave? Uh, Dave, sometimes I read for myself. Sometimes I have friends call and do it. Um, yeah like over the computer sometimes <laughs> I get creative. How's this overall feeling overall feeling because you have a nice business and you're acting mm-hmm. you have you are producing many of your own comedy shows. Yes. Well actually before I go to the question where do you have shows going on now? Uh, right now the only one that's all the time is the fourth Tuesday of every month at the Pike Bar in Long Beach and it's yes. called Think Tank Comedy. And I was there. You were in it, yeah. It was great. Yeah. I, I just I wasn't happy with my performance and there was definitely some problems. I don't usually, nowadays I usually process that kind of things pretty quickly. Mm. But I know this because when, then I sat with you for like two hours. Just, I don't know why I didn't ask any feedback or anything. I guess I was sort of shocked how badly I did (laughs) because we talked about everything else because that was so good moment to ask for feedback so I, I only realized that at home or next day sure. so then I asked you feedback later but I, I think the most I felt surprised how I was like so I felt so bad about the show that I didn't even want to talk about it and I didn't notice that before right. next day but right. it is a, it's a great room and everything's good yeah I love that like there are many reasons I love that room a it's in my neighborhood so I can walk there yeah um I love supporting local business like as a business owner i've always been like a business to business like grow your community from within person um i love that so i'm the only comedy show that happens there it's actually a very famous music venue and it's owned by chris reese who used to be the drummer for social distortion which is a very famous punk rock band from the 70s and 80s and now still but he's not in it anymore um but so like there's a community that goes there to see things. So it's not just like a dive bar, you know, like yeah. people that come there for entertainment. Um, but most of these people, it's now uh, last month was my 10th show there live. So I did like 20 shows total, but half of them were zoom. These are my 10 live shows. And it's so cool that like every month there's like 20 or 30 new people that have never seen live comedy before. Wow. And they're like, I love this. I'm going to go to clubs all the time now. And like, that's what you want. Like doing comedy. It's, it's kind of the reason I love being in comedy versus traditional theater anymore as I want to perform for people that don't perform. I don't want it to be like just this kind of circle jerk of talent. you know. Oh yes. Yes. And uh, what I like in standard standup is that often you perform in bars and if they don't like your show, they can walk out. Yep. 
Because in some theater plays, I felt that like, they still need to sit there for an hour, and I I'm, right. I feel so bad. And they paid twenty bucks and still are required to buy two drinks, and they're held hostage. Yes. And some venues will intentionally freak out, and like they don't think about the audience perspective. Like in my opinion, a comedy show should never be longer than ninety minutes. Period. I like that uh, because people lose attention, and then it's not yeah. fair to the headliner. It's not fair to everybody that's done their hard work, and it's not fair to the audience. Yeah, like you want to make it an enjoyable experience. And a lot of times, venues are like, "Well, if we have forty comics on, then it's more money for bars." But like, if you're holding people hostage for four hours for comedy, they're never going to come back. Yeah, that's true. That's why, like, the joke is like when you get into comedy, especially in LA, it's like for your first couple of years, you only do bringer shows and they're like, well, you can't perform unless you bring five people. And it's like, well, if you keep running shitty shows, like I've lost my five people a year ago, you know? Yeah, I know. You probably feel a big responsibility to the bar to bring a good show and good performers. Here. I do. I do very much. I like in negotiating the contract with the bar, he was nervous because he's like, the reason I haven't had live comedy before is because you know the world's so divided and people can come up and like attack the audience and and i'm like i take my job as a booker very responsibly like i curate my comics very well like i will never have anybody in my show that i haven't personally seen yeah and not just clips because you can't see it's the same thing as like who you want to work with on set it's more than just what you do on stage it's how you behave Yeah, all the way around. <laughs> and some comics can be mean towards audience too. Oh yeah. Too. Well, and it's it's all insecurity. So yeah. like, if you're bombing, you can either accept like, oh, my stuff is not right for these people, and I need to take that as a lesson and learn from it, or you can act out like a child and scream at the audience that it's their fault for not liking your stupid dick joke. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, it seems like that you and Dave have your life in pretty good order i mean you have a business you have a nice pl i haven't been but i've heard it's a nice <laughs> place you're doing acting and comedy where would you like this whole thing to go um so my dream is that the acting and comedy kind of create like its own entity to where i can remove myself from the business that dave and i have created yes slowly but feel like that that it's financially stable for me to do so um and Ideally, I would love to like land in a writer's room of a comedy show that I also am a character on. <laughs> oh, that's good. I <laughs> like, didn't that's know about my dream. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that kind of ties together all the different pieces of like me being in a writer's theater and me directing at New World and me doing comedy and you know all of the all of the things. <laughs> yeah, I haven't pursued writing jobs. How, how would you pursue that? Those. Um, So I obviously haven't landed any yet, but I'm, yes. I'm baby steps on the way. So I know you always have to have a packet ready. So that's why during the quarantine, I wrote my stuff. So I wrote uh, two spec scripts, which is usually you pick a show that exists that you already like, and you write a script that could be another episode on that yeah. show um, to show that you can write in the style of a show seamlessly. Because you never want to get into a writer's room to like change the game. Like you have to show that you understand the voice of that show. Yeah. Um, And then you usually want to have a pilot or something new to present too. So I I wrote all of those things and I have it in a in a packet so that when I'm out at you know a stand up show and I'm there's like there's oftentimes I'll do shows with comics that also are writers in writers rooms or showrunners yeah. that if the if the opportunity arises and I discuss that these are my dreams and they're like oh do you have a packet I'm like here yes. <laughs> there you go <laughs> is it still I mean, you email. Yes. Yeah. But it, you, it's not that far long ago that... 
Right. You just have them printed in your car. And yeah. <laughs> what well, do you want to tell about shows? Did you did the spec script on? Yeah. So I did one on Brooklyn Nine Nine, but I did like a, a crossover episode with Law and Order SVU. So That's so good. <laughs> so it was like the actors from Law and Order SVU doing a ride along with the cops from Brooklyn Nine Nine to like learn how to be cops. That's awesome. But like the Brooklyn Nine Nine guys couldn't accept that the actors were actors so they kept relating to them as their characters on svu oh that's so good so it's like a play within a play and none of that has happened in the mm -hmm. shows no i i really like that thank you i like that a lot yeah um and then my pilot i'm actually most excited about but it's uh kind of a dark comedy based on loosely based on dave and i starting the psychology practice so it's called doing the work and it's about a couple uh like going through their own normal couples stuff while being business owners which is nuts but like also trying to be like the most psychologically minded people that's that's like trying to be yeah <laughs> with that have you thought about producing something on your own maybe that pilot it's definitely crossed my mind uh right now the the stand-up has definitely taken over most of my spare time and brain to yeah. self-produce um but i could see in the future especially with the right people like i'm slowly building my tribe of people that i like to work with that are multifaceted so aren't just comics or aren't just you know directors or aren't just um so that we can all help each other out and yeah things like that because that's what i'm i think my stand-up comedy is suffering because i'm making a movie mm-hmm we have shot five days out of 14. So every time I get some funding from somewhere, we do one more day right? and one more day. So I try to create content that has been recorded. Right. Yes. But I, like, um, instead of you waiting for that to someone to buy it, I would love for you to start doing it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> wow. Well, it seems like that you're doing like you have quite a lot in your life that everything's good. Yeah, everything's good. I wish that I could add like maybe five more hours in every day. Yeah. But that's not possible. So <laughs> I think the really good advice that you or us gave is that if you're young, you should move to LA yes. right away instead of. And I mean, don't do anything unsafe, but be as naked as possible for as long as you can, because that's how you make your money. Yes. Uh, is there any other advice you could give to someone who's thinking about? I mean, I think at the end of the day, so many things, whether it's in the arts or just in a capitalist society in general, are designed to manipulate you through your ego and you you lose your purpose and why you were doing things. And so if you can fight that and remember why you wanted to perform to begin with or why you love your art or why you like to be a creator in general and you just keep playing, everything else will work out. That sounds great. <laughs> Where can people find you? Uh, so you can find me on Instagram at Sarah K does stand up. Uh, not Sarah K loves LA that got hacked. I yeah, hate that hack. is, can, can you tell me about that? That was <laughs> okay. So there's a gigantic scam going around, and so many people have fallen prey. My original Instagram that I built for nine years uh, got hacked at the beginning of April. I can't regain it. Like the the you can't. I That's cannot. Weird. I cannot get it back. And they've been hacking people under my name now for two months 
and I keep posting warnings on all of my other Instagrams because I have like an Instagram for each of my comedy shows. Yeah. And I also have my Facebook. And so I like post warnings once a week, like, hey, this this account isn't me. Don't follow it. But it's like insidious because it's not a bot. It's like an actual person. You spoke with him. I did. Um, so how I got hacked is one of my friends uh, who is a photographer emailed me on a Sunday and I was like, you know, Sunday brain, like not reading fully or like thinking. I was just like, and the person was like, hey, I'm in this photo contest. Will you vote for me? And like, I, the only reason I use social media is for like artistic networking. Yeah. And so like, of course, if I have a friend who's a photographer and they want me to vote for them in a concert or in a contest, I would. But I even like, it wasn't just like one link in a, a chat thing because that I would be more suspicious. Of. Yes. So I was like, oh, tell me more about this. And they're like, well, it's this multi-level thing. And if I win, then I get a gallery show. And I was like, well, this sounds great. And they're like, okay, I'll send you the link. As soon as you click on the link, it takes control of your Instagram. It changes all of your um, settings. So like it changes the phone number and email that are attached to the account to theirs. So then when you like try and report it, it sends all the fraud reports to them and not to you. So there's like no way back in and there's no real people at Instagram to call. And like it's in, since Instagram's kind of free anyway, it's a numbers game. And they just figure like eventually you'll give up and start your own account, which I did eventually. Yeah. Um, but I still like it's very it sucks. I get still probably like 15 to 30 messages a day from people being like, is this you? Do you know you're hacked? Oh my God, I got hacked. And that's so stressful and so shitty. And like to prey on people that are using this specifically to be supportive of people yeah. and use like people's natural, like giving nature against them. Yeah. It's terrible. But, But I you did, had to, yeah. So I, from my show account, that guy tried to hack me in my show account and I'm like, I, I had like a three hour fight with him in text of like, you have stolen my account. He's of course trying to extort me to buy back my old account, which okay. I'm not going to do. Yeah. Um, I, I did tell him, I hoped that he died of amoebic dysentery and rotted in hell. <laughs> But yeah, it, it, it's real people. Like, yeah. So Did he say any reason or did he? He said that he bought it from somebody else. And if I like, it sucks that I can't get it back, but I can pay him. And I'm like, what's the point of this? And he's, it's Bitcoin mining. Was it very cold? Was there any, anything? He got mad a couple of times when I like attacked, uh, like I basically called him like a loser and a fraud and all of these things and that like I had no respect for him and he would get like very defensive then and then come back to like trying to convince me to buy my what, account. What back. did you say about Bitcoin mining? Uh, so basically how this whole scam technically and I, I don't understand all of it but basically they try and get control of as many accounts as possible to then have access to all of those people's followers and so they're trying to follow, find people that are like show producers and stuff that have you know upwards of 4,000 plus people that they can try and attack um, and so they do two two things they try and hack as many people under your name and they also use your account to send out fake like scam messages for people to like uh, buy into like multi-level Bitcoin scams. Yeah. So it's basically hoping that like at least 1% of your followers are stupid enough to fall for their scam. Which probably is true. Yeah. Yeah, I was impressed. I, I felt strongly like when I saw the messages that you had with the guy, mm -hmm. because it obviously was a real guy. Uh-huh. 
And he was not changing his mind. No. But once that was, once I realized that avenue and I got my anger out and I spent more time on it than I wished I had, because I had a lot of other things I should have been doing that day, I blocked him, unfollowed him, reported. And then, like, now I've been, at first I thought just unfollowing was enough, but it's not like I've been trying to encourage everybody, like, block that account. Like, the only thing we can do to win is shut down. What is it called? Sarah Kay loves LA. So we block that. Block it. Report. Block and report. Sarah K loves LA. Mm -hmm. Not that. Not that. But do follow Sarah yeah. K does stand up and think tank comedy. <laughs> yes. And can you say your website one more time? SarahKGodotComedy.com. And Pike plays every. The fourth Tuesday of every month on Fourth Street in Long Beach. Nice. Yeah. Anything else we should know about your links or anything? I think that's it. That that's the main stuff. I mean, if you want to follow me on Facebook, I'm Sarah K Godot. Nice. <laughs> and let's work on getting the new world meeting again. Yes, 100%. Yes. I know there's got to be a bunch of us out here still. So. Yes, I hope I'm there's some people that I don't know if they're here anymore. I think some people like are seasonal now, but yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you for being here. Yeah. It is really good to see you like this. It's good to see you too. Yes. Bye. Bye.